Hello, hello. In this episode, I talk with a local friend of mine, Aaron Becker, and we discuss his marathon running and his through hike on the Appalachian Trail. Let's explore. Welcome to Outdoor Insights. More and more doctors are prescribing a return to nature to cure our problems. The outdoors can be a therapist, a workout, and most importantly, a story. From hiking, running, biking, traveling, whatever the pursuit, Outdoor Insights shares those stories and experiences about these passions. So let's explore. Welcome back to episode one of Inside, or my bad, Outdoor Insights. Um, I'm here with Aaron Becker, or as I call him, Becker. Becker, how are you doing? Great. Awesome. How are you? No, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for making this Herba Mate tea. Always good. And you are an outdoor man of such. You're a marathon runner. Yep. Um... Tell us about that. Um, well, I ran. I ran in high school, and then uh, I, I just kind of liked to move. <laughs> so, like, I was a kid who was always falling asleep in school because, you know, if you're if you're sitting for too long, I just I just can't do it. So, um, I kind of quit running because I got, you know, you get into college, and then you try all these extracurriculars and, yeah. and, and doing stuff and you gets just kinda, too much you don't have a lot of structure and so um, I kind of winged a couple of marathons and then when I got out of college I didn't really have anything going for me I had a bachelor's and no job prospects and mm-hmm. um, I didn't I wanted to like work with people uh, I, I wanted to do social work after I got out and uh, I had a degree in biology yeah. <laughs> so uh, didn't really line up no yeah quite Right. So I was so, uh, but while I was gaining experience working with people, I decided to get really back into running, and um, so I, I did a few more marathons, and then uh, I uh, had this conversation with a guy where he mentioned the Appalachian Trail because he had done it in his younger days, and he kind of planted the seed in my brain where I was like, I wonder if I could do that. So. Uh, when I didn't get into grad school, I decided, well, I was going to do the trail instead. So I worked for a year up to four jobs and then left in June of 2014 and, and went southbound. So you did, you did the trail um, backwards from the traditional route, right? Yeah, they have nobos and sobos. Uh, nobos would be northbounders, sobos would be southbounders. And so uh, northbounder starts in Springer Mountain, Georgia, and... Um, you, they can start up to they can start as early as January, but they can also go up to um, they can start as late as June. And uh, most people do it that way. And so I was looking on the website planning the hike, and I saw this description on the website that said many people consider uh, southbounders or going southbound being the uh, harder way to go because of 
the territory is the hardest up front with Maine, and there's less people. So you actually did it because you wanted the challenge. Yeah, they, I felt like they were asking me how much of a man I was. I was like, oh, <laughs> man, I can't talk You got to do it. You came back out then. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, crap. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, plus I was working for a school, so I didn't want to quit on them early. And uh, so after the school year was uh, over, a week later, I was up in Maine hiking south. So day in, day out, you know, like what's it like? What's your routine? It depends on the, the person. Um, I would wake up and I had this, uh, this little stove I made out of welded beer cans. <laughs> and uh, I would heat up a pint of water and drink some hot coffee, some, some mate. And uh, basically, I'd wake up at dawn. And sometimes I wake up at about 4.30. Cool thing about Maine in the summer is the sun comes up at 4.30. So, like, you're, you're in your tent, and then you wake up, you look at your alarm clock, yeah. or your, your, your stopwatch, and it says 4.30, and, and the sun's, like, bright. It's just extra daylight. Yeah, and so you're like, oh, might as well get up and, you know, walk. Get some more miles in. So uh, I'd, eat, uh, I'd eat some oatmeal and, and stuff out of my cup, and then pack everything up and just go. And... Uh, um, I would go about all day. I'd walk from dawn to dusk, and I, I was alone a lot of the time, so I didn't want to um, just sit there for a while because sometimes you get lonely and you'd want to keep moving. But other times it's kind of nice because you'd like find this awesome stream, and you know you just kind of like want to soak in the stream and yeah. go for a swim. Or and then if you you would also meet people, and so sometimes if you like uh, I hiked with some a, a guy by the name of the Hungarian Revolution on and off for about 500 miles and um so he was he was fun and so we had a lot of good times and then i met another guy um connor who had a hike on and off with so you you meet people so it's a nice it's a nice combination of solitude and and just kind of like one-on-one time with a stranger and then you you get pretty close and um that kind of fits in with your wanting to work with people thing i guess you know yeah it's just your personality and talking to new people every day pretty much yeah and after a while like you get you'd kind of want to stick with one person because after a while you meet somebody who would you'd have the same conversation over again so so they'd be like "What, what was your start date how much does your pack weigh? And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> another one of these guys. Um, so it's kind of nice when you had, like, a, a built relationship with another person and you could just pick up where you left off. And, 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 then you, um, and then you could go deeper, you know. You could, like, learn about their history. And, and a lot of it was, you know, you didn't know if you are going to see each other again. So you didn't really waste time with the small talk. Like, it was... You basically just got to know somebody like Dove right, right into it. Yeah. Right into the deep stuff. Yeah, like, why, why waste time? And so you're much more candid and honest uh, there than, than you are here because there's, I think this is uh, the certainty that you're going to see him the next day, so I guess there's more restraint in conversation. I think that's honestly why people on the trail are almost more open. They're nicer. It's not that people outside of hiking aren't nice or anything like that, but they're always more open and willing to talk, I guess. Either that's because they've been solitude for a long time or they just, you know, like you said, they don't have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And part of it is the people that I would meet on the trail, 
um, were some of the nicest people. And I experienced the same thing when I went down to South America uh, five years ago now when I was 22. And, um, like, you would, if you got to a town and you needed to get food, you could just hitchhike. And I remember one a couple times. One time uh, I got picked up by this guy in a truck in uh, Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And he was a forester. And so he took me and the Hungarian Revolution in the back of his truck to the store. And then he got us a pizza while we were drinking real coffee <laughs> instead of the instant stuff. And uh, he's like, you guys want a, a bed and a shower tonight? Because I just called my wife and she's cool with it. And so we're like, yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, what, what kind of ice cream do you want? So he gave us a half pint of mint chocolate chip and... Um, or not a half pint. He gave a half gallon, and then we went back and and we like met his uh, we met like his grandson and and he was showing all these pictures of Katahdin. We got our laundry done. We had beds, and I mean it was this a real deal. And I I took his address down in this little this little uh, black moleskin book I had that I documented. I just have like brief entries of the night, so it was a journal and. I took his address down, wrote him a card when I finished. I was like, dude, Jim, hey, man, like, thanks. Uh, you're the best. Uh, what's your number? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if I'm ever in the area, yeah. I, can, yeah, uh, place to stay. I can meet up. Yeah, and they had this, uh, they had this book that the thru-hikers. Like, like a guest book kind yeah, of? Yeah, they had a, like a guest book. They're like, could you write your name and number and mm-hmm. you know, draw like a, like a, a pictograph of yourself? You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> hieroglyphic. A little um, self-portrait. Yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, uh, so there was that, and then, heck, there was a cookie lady. So there was this, there was this late, there's this old lady, and uh, she would have like the frozen chips ahoy cookies, or Ooh. she had like bunches of cookies. Well, they might have been homemade. Anyway, were they the chewy, kept, the chewy chips ahoy, or I don't remember. Well, nice well cold. they were all hard because they they'd sit in the freezer. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so you'd show up, and and this was in Massachusetts, and you, and you'd tent in your yard, <laughs> <laughs> and then you so you'd set up your tent. And then knock on the door and be like, is the cookie lady there? And then uh, either the uncle or, like, some nephews from Bloomington, Indiana, of all places, would uh, be there over the summer, and they would hand out some some cookies, and you could pay, like, a buck for some lemonade <laughs> and a cooler. And um, so there was that. And then one time I hitchhiked into Bennington, Vermont. Yeah, where I I wanted really good peanut butter. And gas stations only have like Jif, and I was like, I want stuff without this the crap. I'm sure the cravings you get are just so weird. Oh yeah, most of the time, what age group is gonna listen to this? Kids my age, adults. Most I of mean. the yeah, most of the time I just wanted pancakes and beer. You know, yeah. like people are like, yeah. you uh, like, do you have any deep thoughts? And I was like, eh, most of the time I was thinking about food and beer, food <laughs> and beer, and real coffee. Nothing but, much. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wanted real peanut butter, so I walked like. A mile to this this nice like grocery store, and I was like, "Hey, I want peanut butter." <laughs> and they were like, "So you're hiking the trail?" And I said, "Yeah." And they're like, "Well, if you want, we'll give you a ride back to the trailhead. We close in like an hour. Can you wait an hour?" I was like, "Yeah, sure. I'll eat some food and wait." Yeah. And so they closed, and then the the girl behind the counter, her name was Kina, like drove me back and she was just like real straight up like i said earlier she was telling me about like why what she was doing and like how she had gotten out of this relationship with a surf bum in hawaii and ended up back here because her parents live here um 
and then she dropped me off but you know never saw her again but um just real real genuine interaction it's a it's those type of moments i don't think you'll like ever forget either no yeah 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 and um so yeah just stuff like that the people there really kind of restore your faith in in the human spirit Mm because all you hear about is um the representatives of of humans and they're very very rarely authentic representations of what people really are it's a good escape from all the crap on the news yeah honestly it's just everybody i've ever met out there has been super kind i've met um through hikers like yourself uh, a dude named cheddar and his friend who um had a pink floyd t-shirt but said um tour of the appalachian you know <laughs> like something probably got at a gas station while he's yeah, picking up yeah. some food so, um, you're a teacher too? <clears throat> yeah. You I teach, teach uh, I teach eighth grade science. I've been teaching for a year. Um, and so I get to teach chemistry in the fall and then I get to do a genetics and evolution unit in the spring. And then I get to do physics at the very end of the year. So do you teach conservation? Is that like in the curriculum? I'm just curious. The the way my job works is I have a set of standards I need to teach. So mm-hmm. they're actually kind of vague. It's like... Fill in the blanks, kind of. Sort of. Uh, like an example would be, students will know genes are passed on chromosomes from parent to offspring. Yeah. And there you might get a set of like eight standards for an entire unit, and you have like 12 weeks. So then where I what I do is I... I oftentimes give my kids a survey. I'm like, I know what I have to teach you. How do you want to do it? And so I'll get like interest and stuff of the students. And uh, like a prime example is, I was like, what animal do you guys want to study in evolution? And I had a student who was on the equestrian team last year. And so I thought, um, this student, I'm going to make a, a horse lab for this student's interest. And I would try to tackle like a student's interest like at least one student's interest a week so I could get almost hit all of them um, by the end of the year. And so anyway, I made this lab where it charted how horses used to have uh, four toes and they used to be a lot smaller because they lived in the woods. And now they're a lot bigger because they live on the, uh, they have gradually evolved to become bigger because the, the landscape has changed. And then they also have hooves where their third toe, one of the, so out of the four toes, the third one, because they used it the most, well, a mutation caused the third toe to be a little bit fatter. And so over successive generations, that third toe got really, really big. And so the horse hoof is actually just the, the enlarged third toe of the original horse. And, there is, and the other ones have become vestigial, so they're not even there anymore, except there's one left, and it's hardly even noticeable. So they technically have two toes, but they only use one, and it's using one over successive generations that has resulted in the horse hoof. I really like what you're doing, actually. That's very cool that you're individualizing it for so each kid can connect with science in some way. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. It, uh, it gives it a, a personal touch because education pushes for tech. And the kids get tech in their lifestyles as a default. A lot of kids get a screen shoved in their hands by the age of two. And it's influencing the way they connect and view human interaction. If 
a student can sometimes a student will email you and they won't address you as the teacher they'll just be like can you do this can you do this and it's not because you know they're impolite but they haven't learned this because they've been brought up by instant communication and they've been mostly handling that communication through a machine through a mechanism and if you cut out that stuff it's a valuable tool once in a while but kids really respond to a personal touch in yeah. a classroom. And if you can provide it for them, you're really going to win out over anything a gadget can give you. I, I completely agree with that. Because um, I remember what, we started using iPads um, in Noblesville High School pretty early on, and it's just that's all anything is now. But it's, I like, that's another thing why I like the outdoors just because it, it's a disconnect from all of that. You're not connected to anybody but the moment and the people around you. And I think in life, especially nowadays, we miss out on a lot of those moments that are because of that disconnection. So um, I think that's very cool what you're doing. Let's go back to the marathon running real quick. You ran Boston, correct? I've done Boston twice. I've done New York once. I've done Chicago twice. And they used to have the Indianapolis Marathon. They, they had two for a while. And the original one was at Fort Bend. They don't do it anymore because it's out competed by the, the big city one, the monumental one in November. But that was my first one, and I did that two years in a row. So all told, I've done seven. And... Um, I've got my third Boston coming up in a couple months. Last year's Boston was your best marathon by far, correct? It was my best Boston. My best marathon I've ever done was actually in Chicago in 2015. Um, and then Boston last year, I, I stayed healthy. So I, I was training okay. I was doing about 60 miles a week, but I was also a, a student getting a teaching certificate. I was also a teacher, teaching while getting my teaching certificate, and it was training. So um, all told, I mean, just getting in and doing it, I did fairly well. So I was about, it was a hot Boston, so I ran okay, and I got, I think, 380th. That's pretty good. So yeah, it was all right. For and then, especially juggling all those other things you're doing, that's outstanding. I was happy with it. Boston is fun because it's a strategic race. Um, and then New York was even more strategic because I, I did that. I did my first New York last fall. What do you mean by that strategic? So in a 5K, it's fun because you get to make decisions. And if you're up at the front, people are going to try. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of the greatest strategic sports of all time because people are trying to just break you. And you get to make probably 100 decisions in a 5K race in, in the course of 15 minutes. Do I go with this guy? Do I sit? You know, stuff like that. In a marathon, it's even more because it's a 26-mile race. And so in New York, I wasn't very fit because I had some injuries after doing all that I did in the spring. It eventually caught up with me. And so I was really only running about 30 miles a week, which isn't much for a marathoner at all. And, uh, and I only got in one long run beforehand and then uh which normally i get in like six to eight like 20 milers and then uh i sat back 
for the first half, and then I just took off. And it, you also got to think about the course. So the course of a marathon, you know, in Boston, you have the the Newton Hills from 17 to 21, which is also your toughest spot because they call it no man's land because you're all isolated and it's like you're too far from the start, but you're not close enough to the finish. Yeah, you're just that middle and it's yeah, that it's that struggle low. stage. And in New York, I did something I'd never done before, and I ran negative split. So I ran my second half two seconds <laughs> faster than the first half. Negative splits and negative but split. It, but it was, over, it was over negative territory, and I passed probably between 1,500 and 2,000 people in that half because they will go out hard and then not be able to maintain it. And so that, even though it wasn't my best time, it was my fourth best uh, time, it was my best strategic race I think I'd ever done, mostly because I couldn't take too many risks because I was uh, not fit enough to do that. So, but yeah, as, as I get more experience in it, I, can, I have a better gauge of what I can do. Um, and actually, I, I can realize that I don't have to do as much to perform at a decent level as I thought I did when I was younger. So. You obviously run a lot. I'll run a lot part in that. <laughs> um, so if I were to run a marathon this year or this month, like this doesn't have to apply to me, but what advice would you give me? Because it's obviously a lot of stress physically, mentally. It's just a huge challenge. Don't do anything you can't do the next day. So if you do like a hard run, make sure you, you can do the same thing the next day without getting hurt. Um, cause that'll keep you healthy too. Um, you got to get in several 20 milers. Well, now if you're new to it, you'd probably want to get in about two to three. The third thing is you want to do at least a couple of those on pavement to prepare you for the road race. Cause my first one that I really trained for, I did all my long runs on a trail. And when I showed up and did it on road, the first time I did that was in the race and at 17 miles, my legs really like I waddled in. It's and, a, it's just a different. Yeah. Smacking. So if you can get used to that, that beating, you'll handle it much better in the race. Um, but yeah, you, you really don't have to do any interval work. If you're just trying to finish, you just have to get your mileage up and, and, um, don't, don't stop. <laughs> yeah don't stop and walk any cool running trails i you mentioned trail running opposed to um running on pavement obviously um around the indianapolis area any cool trails you run on fort ben's fun i like that one especially in the winter i've been on a couple long runs there that is nice mm -hmm. eagle um, creek's a lot of fun i've been there too yeah um luke and i you know luke we've gone there before but um do you still run minimalist I know you used to be into the thin, you had like Merrill's or New Balances, right? I had a pair of New Balance that I loved because they, they were like, <laughs> they were like a mil, they were like, uh, probably like nine millimeters thick. <laughs> like they were nothing. And I ran, I'd run 80 miles a week in those things. And they were great because they didn't jack my body up. Well, then New Balance quit making those after I ran them for four years and then I got all these problems. Mm -hmm. So, I got a pair of running moccasins that are even more minimalistic than that, but uh, 
I uh, I'm trying to get over some some kinks and and you got to kind of you got to find a balance between support and stuff. But um, so I I would prefer to if the shoe was still made, but it's not. And I've tried to find other stuff that kind of simulates it, and it's difficult. So yeah, do you just run minimalist just because of um, you? I've talked to you before. It gets you up on your toes more, right? I can do that in any shoe, but. Um, you can glide easier if you don't have an elevated heel and you're closer to the ground than you can in a conventional shoe. And that, for me, is... I, so I found a game changer in how healthy I can stay, I guess. So And it's, it's, it is more of a, a strengthener for your arches, whereas if you're in a cushy shoe, it's, you're, you're more so in a cast. And so you, you lose some ankle mobility, you lose some ankle strength, which that, I mean, that caused me to get a new injury when I did New York. Like if a little pop at mile 22 and I've had to take time off to let that tendon heal. So I'm just having these new problems that I haven't really dealt with in a few years. So for some, it may not make a difference. For some, it, it may. And I think I'm one of those guys where it does. So... Uh, thank you for your time. Love having you on the show. It was great. I think we all kind of learned a lot, so it was pretty fun. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, Anytime. Thanks for the tea. <clears throat> Sign out. If you have a suggestion or even a recommendation on who we should have on the show, please make sure you comment below. Also, make sure you subscribe and tell your friends about our show. Now get out there and explore. Explore.